you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Welcome to the Move the Sticks podcast. I am Bucky Brooks, and I got my man standing there for DJ Lance Zerline. My man, LZ, what's going on? What's up, Buck? How's the uh, how's summer treating you right now? I mean, summer's good. I mean, we're in the middle of all sports. Everything is, is, is on and popping. We got um, NBA playoffs in full effect. We're going to talk about... Um, some of the crossover traits that we look for that we've been able to see revealed in the playoffs in the NBA, NHL playoffs are in full effect. Baseball is going, so everything is buzzing. We got a month before football tees up, so things are good. Trying to squeeze in maybe a vacation or so. So how did uh, how did you like football in the spring? Um, different, different. I I liked it, but I'm gonna be honest with you, Lance. Like my 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 personal calendar was all out of whack because I'm not yep. used to coaching football while doing the, the draft stuff. So I was on fumes for a little bit, but no, it was good. It was fun. I actually liked being able to turn on the TV and see a bunch of these games. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw a bunch of HBCU games, Dion, his crew, saw the swag going in full effect. Um, so I thought that stuff was good, but I am re- ready to get back to a normal calendar because I think it will be a lot easier from an evaluation standpoint to kind of get back to doing what we've always done. Yeah. And uh, you know, from a body clock standpoint, we just are so used to 
the schedule of football, <laughs> basketball, baseball, mm-hmm. you know, for, for whatever, you know, some people are hockey, some people more into college football than NFL, whatever the case may be. But um, it is nice to get back into it. But, you know, as a, I host a sports talk show. So we're talking um, obviously a lot of playoff basketball, not with the Rockets. Obviously we have nothing to do with the playoffs. We're all excited about the uh, draft lottery now. Like, come on, please get the top four where you lose that mm-hmm. first round pick. It conveys outside of the top four. But something that that in watching the NFL, um, or rather watching the NBA playoffs right now, Bucky, is that you know you see a guy like Chris Paul, whose mental toughness and preparation and basketball character has was I thought it was transformative in Houston. Well, I thought it was transformative with the Clippers and then mm-hmm. with the, the Rockets. People forget they had sixty five wins. They were a one seed, the the best the organization's ever done. Then he made Oklahoma City a playoff team. Then he comes to the Suns. And I think that's an interesting jump off point in terms of, you know, do we still – I know we talk about football character every year, but when I mm-hmm. watch basketball and football, you see that sometimes it's not always as readily available. And maybe you get that working with younger people that sometimes they've got a lot to contend with other than just digging in and doing the work. There's brand recognition and there's so mm-hmm. many different things. Let's uh, let's talk for a second about that competitive nature that we're seeing in the world of basketball and and the veteran presence and and the work that's put in. Um, if you had a chance as a coach or as an evaluator, as a GM, where are you? Where's Bucky the GM placing the football character and the grit and determination and professionalism versus those explosive traits that we always talk about? You know, toughness is everything, uh, Lance. I'm a big believer in effort and toughness. It goes a long way. I'm sure, like, when you talk to your dad, your dad has had those scrappy old offensive linemen who probably couldn't stand up straight and do all that other stuff, but they're, they're tough as nails. They find a way to kind of get the job done. When you talk about a guy like Chris Paul's, right, you talk Chris Paul, you talked about his transformative leadership ability. I think it matters, man. I, I think when you look at a guy like Tom Brady, right, Tom Brady going down to Tampa, and we can say what Tom Brady is. Tom Brady – as a player is no longer the player that he was very early in new England. Like he doesn't have the same arm talent, arm strength, all of that other stuff, but what he has in, in, in droves, he has the leadership ability. He has the ability to get everyone to believe that the team is good enough. Individually, they're good enough when it comes to preparing and being resilient enough to win games and guys buy in. And so when you look at a Chris Paul, and what he's been able to do, you talked about those other places, but like looking at Phoenix, man, and how they talk about in game one where he's texting his brother and his brother's barking out um, instructions from the, the course I seat that he was on. You can just tell how he's put his, his mark on the team. I think when we're evaluating, in normal times, you want to be able to go to games, you want to be able to talk to people to kind of get a feel for those blue chip players. How do they impact the team beyond just their production? Do they have some extra stuff that they bring as leaders? Yeah, and I think from a star potential look, it um, it doesn't have to come from the stars. You, you you can have impact players and leaders all over the field, but it's so much better when it does. I think having the star players as your dogs, as your alphas, um, they don't have to be alpha one. They don't have to be dog one. But when they are – that's going to set the tone across the board, not just in any sport, but in any locker room. And when you're talking about the NFL, I mean, we're talking about, you can say there's 53. We know there's many, many more than that. But Bucky, talk about the component of being in a locker room 
there is still an offensive side and there is still a defensive side. How much from an evaluation standpoint do you have to worry about getting leaderships on both sides or is it a situation you think in locker rooms when it comes to putting together a team that you can have one that's over the entire locker room or two that's over the entire locker room? Is it split up? Is there an offensive team and a defensive team you have to worry about? Yeah, the NFL locker room is so different, right? Because you do have guys that are kind of on their own units, right? There are three units that almost operate independently. You have your offense, your defense, and then your special teams. Um, your offensive guys, I mean, they may or may not intermingle much with defensive guys. Just because of the nature of your meetings and everything, you're always together. Um, it's different in high school where, you know, everyone kind of plays both ways. Defensively, you, you don't pay attention to the offense. You kind of focus on your own job and what you have to do. But I will say this, um, when you get to the nuts and bolts of you get to the preseason games, you get into the games, the offense is on the field and the defensive guys may be up on the sideline kind of looking and seeing what's going on. And when you have a handful of players that are impact players, they're really well, I mean, they're really invested in how those guys perform and, and, and what they do. And then when it comes to like the quarterback, the one thing that we always talk about, and this is kind of the standard when it comes to quarterback play. Does a quarterback give you a chance? And that optimism, that optimism comes from the fact that if the defense is saying, man, if we can just get a stop, we get the ball back, X, Y, and Z can bring us back. Mm -hmm. Hey, we just need to get it. Hey, we just need to get it to him in a two-minute drill. He can he can get it done. Um, that belief is really what you're looking for when you're evaluating and you're deciding if a guy's a franchise quarterback or not. Does he raise the level of optimism? that the team is going to win when all the chips are down. It, it, I, can, I can cross over something here. It's interesting. I was part of a group here in Houston having a lunch and meeting with Jarrett Stedham, who was at that time deciding whether or not he wanted to come out of Auburn. Ultimately, he went back. And I was in there. Um, the president of the Rockets knows me, and he knows me from doing draft stuff. He knows me from doing radio, whatever. Uh, and that's his now his, his current father-in-law is the former president of the Houston Rockets. So that's why we were in there. So it's me, it's Jeff Van Gundy. I walk into this room, and I think it's just me instead I'm going to kick it. Like, oh, Lance, I want you to come in and talk to Jared. I'm like, cool, cool. You know, I, I'm walking into Vic and Anthony's steakhouse, getting ready to get my steak on, and I'm going to talk to Jared and tell him what's up. And then all of a sudden I walk into the room, and it's Jeff Van Gundy, Daryl Morey, Ted Ooh. Johnson. You remember Ted Johnson, mm -hmm. uh, NFL Super Bowl winner from the, yeah. uh, the Patriots. Patriots. And coming in right behind me, I didn't even see him behind me, like three seconds later, Chris Paul. So Chris walks in. We all sit down. And I'm like, damn, this is some heavy hit. What yeah. am I doing in here? And so the conversation is, you know, like, you know, Daryl Morey's got his opinion, which is going to be, well, fine. Well, from the numbers standpoint, you start your career now and your earning potential starts but Chris Paul told him something very interesting, and I thought I, I just gained so much respect from Chris just listening to him in this meeting. He said, look, I could have left Wake Forest when I was a freshman, but I wasn't ready. I was still looking at these NBA guys as like I was idolizing them. I wanted to, you know, be near them and take pictures with them. And, you know, it was that whole concept. And he said, I need I knew that I needed to get to a point where I saw myself on their level. And he said, Jared, if you are not ready to walk in and take on the responsibility of helping a 31-year-old player who's on the verge of being out of the league get his last chance 
at a, a at a playoff run or a title or whatever the case. If you're not ready to tell a grown man in the in the, in the a 28 year old who's been in the league six years ready to take a leadership role and tell him that he's doing something wrong and he needs to do differently on the field, or if you're not ready to to rally the troops where they believe in your positivity on the field, he said, then you need to go back to college because you got to be ready. Go have fun in college, but you've got to be ready to lead grown men. And that is a very difficult task. And he said, you know, to this day and age, I mean, to this time, Bucky, Chris Paul said when he has young players come up and like, hey, Chris, can I get a picture? You are my favorite. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Because he knows he's just going to bust them up. He said, <laughs> I know I, I know, I got them before the game. When they're coming up taking pictures, they don't have the dog in them yet. They, they don't know what it's about. And uh, I thought that was interesting listening to his perspective because – Ted Johnson talked about young Tom Brady and he said, and, and the question was asked, what was Tom Brady like? He said, we thought he was some goofy kid. He's a six rounder out of Michigan. And he's like, come on guys, we got to do this. And the same thing you would think Tom Brady would do, but then he started backing it up with some of his play and they started seeing flashes. And he said, you know, Tom was ready to take on that role. He wasn't ready as a quarterback just yet physically, but he was ready as a leader to take on that role. And I just thought that was so interesting getting the perspective of Chris Paul and then Ted Johnson's vantage point as a veteran, as one of those veterans of saying, who is this young punk quarterback trying to, you know, yell at people in the huddles, but it, it was real. Like they, they bought into it. And, and um, I think what you said is right. And, you know, it turns out Tom Brady's one of the greatest, just like you talked about Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers are two guys that, you just don't want them to get the ball back in the fourth quarter. You want to have the ball last. You don't want them to have the ball last. No, and, and, and I think when you find a guy like that, it's, it's really, really hard to move on from him, you know? And so when I think about the Aaron Rodgers situation, and we can talk a, a, about a lot of it, but Aaron Rodgers' best leadership qualities are his performance and production. You know, his ability to make plays when everyone knows, hey, a play needs to be made, he's consistently delivered that. When you start stacking those things up and you start putting those things on the resume, you create this aura about you that makes you a little different than everybody else in the locker room. And I think some of the stuff that we're seeing in Green Bay, where while maybe the Packers have been so patient with Aaron Rodgers doing this, whatever it is that we're doing in the off season <laughs> is because they know how special he is and they know what he brings to the table when he does get the ball in those critical moments. I see, um, I see the window closing on them, Bucky. If they, if they were to move Aaron Rodgers, no disrespect to Jordan love, but that's basically your window of opportunity to win. Cause this year, the way I see the NFC, I still think it's open for green Bay to have a legitimate chance, you know, to go to a Super Bowl game. I, I still think that, you know, things do fall in their favor to an extent. I do think some things are going to be a little different with the Rams now, mm-hmm. potentially with the Cowboys, uh, maybe with the Bears. So there could be some differences. But um, I think moving Aaron Rodgers, even if it becomes best for the team, if you feel like that's the case, mm-hmm. you basically close the window on your chance. to your, your window closed, and it's not going to reopen until you have a different iteration, I think. Yeah, and no, I mean, here's, here's the tough thing about the Packers, because the Packers in the last – two years or what 26 and six during the regular season 13 and three when he plays at MVP level 13 and three when he doesn't play at MVP level um so the team around him is solid I would say the reason why he played at MVP level has some to do with him but also more to do with him really bowing down and accepting 
the structured offense that Matt LaFleur was putting in. Because as an older player, as an older player, you need more structure and more support. Matt LaFleur recognizes that. And as Aaron Rodgers being maybe the most talented quarterback to ever play in the system outside of John Elway, we saw what kind of results it can produce. Now, what I would like to see is what what's next? What's, what's, what's next for them? How do they continue to expand out this offense? Like, how, what can they do with Aaron Jones? What can they do with developing one of these other receivers? But it would be interesting because the team is good enough to go. But the city and everyone is kind of hanging on to a thread with the Aaron Rodgers decision. And is he going to go to Jeopardy? Is he going to do this and that? And I don't know. It's hard for me. Having played up there, having known the tradition up there. I mean, it's title town. Like when you look up and you walk in that stadium, Bar Star and Ray Nischke and Reggie White and Brett Favre, there are a bunch of great players that have played there. And so the organization has never bent for a player like that. So it'd be interesting. Um, but, you know, you know what? Jeopardy. Like that's a real thing we have to say now. Who knows? You know, we don't know. Maybe he'll end up going to Jeopardy. Like he's this. not going. Wow, he's he's going to play. He's going he's to play in Green Bay. But it's funny. You talked about the toughness. Mm-hmm. Here's what I need to see. I need to see Matt LaFleur show more toughness when the when they question about Aaron Rodgers, I need them to be like, Hey, you know, like we love to have my guy, but Hey, we gotta get, we gotta get Jordan love ready. We gotta be ready. You never know. I mean, Aaron Rodgers could get a cold and not be able to play. So we got to be able to play without number 12. Um, when I hear him though, I get the woe is me. And I'm just like, come on, man, do you got a little toughness? Like, can you coach without number 12? If number 12 is not there. He has a hangnail, anything. So you got I just need more toughness, more toughness from him. next up, next up. Um, you know, impact, you're, you're talking about the different players. You know, I think a big a big potential part of Green Bay's success this year, maybe even getting them over the hump, could be a rookie and Amari Rodgers. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at the list, Bucky, of, of impact rookies. And I think Amari Rodgers, one of those guys outside the first round, he was selected in the third round, I believe it was. Yeah, third round. He, he strikes me, Bucky, as a guy that could be a high-impact rookie if Aaron Rodgers is in the fold and playing – I feel like he can take over that job that Randall Cobb had for years and could be that that high-volume rookie, uh, relatively high-volume rookie, that could end up having an impact on the team. Could you see him as an impact rookie? I mean, I, we're going to go through a list of some impact mm-hmm. rookies, but here's one outside of the first and even second round. Yeah, I like Amari Rodgers, and the reason why I like him is because he does something that they haven't had in a few years. That's someone that could work the middle of the field. Uh, when you think about the success that they had, and I go back – to, I would say maybe the, the best version of the receivers they had when they had Cobb, Jordy Nelson, James Jones. Uh, you can throw in because Jennings was in and out of the lineup then. But what they had is the ability to really work in the middle of the field, windows one-on-ones on slants and quick things, and the ball was out. Um, if Amari Rodgers is able to do some of that stuff and move the chains and maybe give me 10, 11 yards per catch, I feel really good about them putting up big numbers like they've always done on offense. Who do you see as the most impactful rookie running back? I I know Najee Harris is going to be probably the de facto number one for everyone. It would make the most sense, but I just, I feel like Javante Williams in Denver has a real chance to get Mm -hmm. a much heavier workload than people think. Uh, I mean, Javante Williams is a dude now. He runs it hard and he's physical. Uh, this offense is going to give him an opportunity to get to the second level on some some easy runs, and then you'll see if he can take it a distance or break tackle. So it's look he he's a very very difficult running back to defend in an offense that really is going to mask it up. A lot of it 
depends on how good the quarterback is. If the quarterback is good enough to remove one of the defenders out of the box, he can have field day. So it a lot of it depends on that. And it's funny because you brought Javante Williams up and we talked about a little bit about Najee Harris, but I think Najee Harris is the one that's really going to be an impact player. They haven't had a runner like this since Le'Veon Bell in his prime, like in, t- in terms of a legitimate big-time mm-hmm. running back that has receiving skills. I would anticipate him doing all of that Le'Veon Bell stuff with Matt Canada also bringing in the stuff that he did very, very successfully at Maryland and Vanderbilt and other places. Yeah, and, um, you know, the thing is, Le'Veon's such a good third down back. He's, he's an every down back. And, you know, I'm wondering if Pittsburgh goes with kind of an old school mentality here because we've had some discussions in the past about – I know the analytics sector, which mm-hmm. I, you don't draft a running back in the first round, but I, I kind of disagree. I, I think it's situational. I think once you mm-hmm. hit the 20s and you're a team like Pittsburgh that really needs a running game to take more pressure off Ben Roethlisberger and you've got a three-down running back, I think the idea of having a five, a potential five-year deal with a running back in his prime and then the ability mm-hmm. to franchise for another year and then maybe another year, what we're talking about, that's the life cycle of, a, of the prime for a running back. So I don't think that's – I don't think it's that outlandish. And when you look at Najee Harris um, – He's taken on a little heavier workload the last two years, but I, I, I think you should ride him if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers. This guy is in his prime right now. He can handle all three downs, and I think you want to be smart. You don't want to wear him out during a 17-game season, but Najee Harris is so much better than anything that Pittsburgh has there on the roster now or what they've had over the last few years. And to me, at some point, you talk about being a running team, but you got to be about it. Don't just talk about it, be about it. And that's what Pittsburgh, I feel like that's what they did this year. They said, all right, we're going to be about it now. No, I think it is about being about it. And I, I made a mistake. I misspoke when I talked about Matt Canada. Uh, Baltimore, not I mean, not Baltimore, but he was at Maryland uh, with the Terrapins. He also did the offense with Pittsburgh. Didn't have a great time at LSU, but he is a guy who loves to be creative, unbalanced mm-hmm. lines, fly sweet motion. He's going to tap into some of that talent that they have. As far as Najee Harris, Najee Harris to me is the quintessential number one back. He can run it between the tackles. He can get on the perimeter. He can catch the ball out the backfield. Um, he has some sizzle to his game in big games where he steps up. Um, there's a lot of delight. He doesn't have the top end of some of his counterparts, but, man, when you're that big, that physical, you don't really need to have exceptional top end. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy, another guy with good top end speed, but not great top end speed, but does everything is is Elijah Moore. And actually, his top end speed was actually faster than I shouldn't even say that because it was faster than people expected. He can run from the slot. I think from an impact rookie standpoint, you know, I had him as the number four wide receiver, and I thought it was, I thought it was evident after watching tape, and and I watched him in January, and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't heard a lot about him in terms of. The, the draft buzz and things like that. Mm-hmm. But once you get past Devontae and Waddle and Jamar Chase, you know, the big three, to me, this was the guy who looked like an impactful receiver pretty much anywhere he went because he can be a volume guy from the slot. He can line up. Uh, he can take you vertically and help you from a standpoint of of, of expanding the safeties and what they want to do, mismatching slower uh, nickel corners. He's got the ability to to get you tough catches because he's super, super tough. And all I hear about him with the Jets now, all I hear, Elijah Moore, Elijah Moore. Every day in practice is a new day where he's just just stunting on people. And 
it's kind of, you know, it's kind of nice to see. All right, I, I, Jamar Chase, Devontae, I get it. But this mm. guy was the dog on the tape that I saw. Like, he was super, super competitive. And I comped him to Antonio Brown because of the way he ran routes and seemed to just explode out of breaks. And it looks like he's translating very, very quickly. Now, rookie quarterback, rookie coach, a lot of situations, and a lot of guys do great in camp. How do, how do you see him impacting um, a rookie quarterback this year? You know, look, man, uh, I think it's really important anytime you can have a dynamic player um, playing alongside the quarterback, a rookie quarterback, you alleviate some of the pressure on him. And as the rookie continues to play and operate as a game manager, it's even more important that he's able to shoulder the load, which he's been able to do. Um, I, look, I, th- I think it's a critical time. You, you got to have him. You got to be able to make um, the defensive at least respect the running game and have to fear him a little bit. Then that gives you guy an opportunity to really cook from the pocket. Give me an impactful defender. I like okay. the offense so much better than the defense this year. Who do you see on defense? Oh, man, I'm going to go with Michael Parsons for the Dallas Cowboys. Michael Parsons putting on number 11, um, playing in the middle of that defense alongside Jalen Smith, maybe LVE. They found a way to get all three of them there. But he's stout. He He's aggressive. He's explosive. A terrific blitzer. Just understands how to do it. And he gets home. And when he gets home, he makes these splash plays. So, um you know, it, 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 it'll be tough because we don't expect – we don't have high hopes for this Cowboys defense, but I have high hopes for Michael Parsons. Yeah, he um, – man, it was like I was watching Saquon, a linebacker. I mean, he has unbelievable – those thick tree trunk legs, the speed, the sideline to sideline. And I think what blew me away is I don't see this much when watching linebackers, the ability to stop, gather, balance – it's hard to juke him oh, in, yeah. in a hole. It's really hard to get away from him. Once he's got you locked in, it's pretty much a wrap. Uh, he's like those nets. Really, those nets <laughs> like in a, uh, they, you know, like they had in a, what was it called? Escape from the Planet of the Apes or whatever. <laughs> you shoot those nets and get once it's a wrap. Once it's over you, that's it. Um, he's that kind of tackler. Like once he's locked in on you, it's it's all said and done. Now the guy that I like. Obviously, I love Michael Parsons over there. I think your pick is the right mm-hmm. pick. But I think Jamin Davis with Washington, you've got oh, a really yeah. dangerous front right now. And now you're going to stick this guy who is another guy who is an accurate tackler with very, very good speed, a good downhill instincts and mentality. And you're going to stick him behind a talented front like that uh, with Ron Rivera leading the charge at head coach. I just think – I think Jamin Davis is one of those guys who should be a dark horse uh, rookie of the year candidate this year. I think he's really going to have an impact on that. Washington's building a little baby juggernaut over there defensively. Well, they're going back to the old recipe. They're going to build it with the defense. The defense is loaded all those Alabama guys. They have playing on that defense. Um, and then you get another SEC guy in Jamin Davis. Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera both get a chance to impart their wisdom. Yeah, uh, Del Rio. And to him, and b- because former linebackers played at a high level, uh, you now get a young, athletic, dynamic playmaker that can make things happen the speed is real you see the speed on tape he is a blizzard but man he's fun fun guy David evaluate yeah it was um some interesting linebackers I really think you know I'm a big fan of uh um Karamoa I think he I, I still think that he could end up having as big an impact on from this draft class as any linebacker and we're talking about some some pretty good linebackers, but figuring out who he is and what he is in year one, I don't know. Um, 
you know, I'm looking at what happened with Isaiah Simmons and maybe, and I remember before the draft thinking, is this the same thing that's going to happen with the Wusu Karamoa where they got to figure out what his home base is? Yeah. I feel like it's easier to figure out who a Wusu Karamoa is. Right now he's a he's a slot. He's one of those star position guys from college that just has to prove he can be a will is what I think he is. With Isaiah Simmons, I truly, you know, I didn't see in linebacker instinct, so I knew that it would take a little while for him to get used to that position. You know, yeah, no, I think I, I, I think the bigger thing, and, and this is what we can make the mistake of doing sometimes when we're in the evaluation business is we love versatility. We love guys that can do a lot. But there's something to be said for the person that masters the one thing that they're asked to do. And so when I look at him, I just, I just think, like, you know, man, they, he has everything that you look for, everything that you could possibly want. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how he plays out, though. Yeah, and then, um, you know, I think, in terms of impactful rookies on the defensive side, um, at the cornerback position, you know, there are some really talented guys. I was a huge fan of uh, Pat Sertan and then, of course, J.C. Horn, Greg Newsom, Caleb Farley. We know Farley probably will take a little longer to come, you know, to, to, to get it going. But when I looked at the top two guys and you see Sertan and J.C. Horn, I mean, right off the bat, J.C. Horn is has a chance to really make his mark because he's going to be – you know, facing off against guys like, um, and not that he didn't do it in college and actually did a pretty decent job of taking on Kyle Pitts, but he's going to have Kyle Pitts to worry about. He's going to have, obviously, Calvin Ridley to worry about. He's going to have those beasts over in Tampa Bay to worry about. So he's got his hands full over there. Now, if he if he shows out, that's rookie of the year type candidate stuff if you're able to really do a nice job um, because so many people cite these these advanced statistics from Pro Football Focus and other sites um, with how guys do against top matchups. So everyone will be aware of a guy, a guy like J.C. Horn. And then Sertan is in Denver. We already know Oakland is uh, trying to build over their wide receiver. We know what, we know what Kansas City has. We know what the Chargers have. So those two guys stepped into a tough situation, but that's why you're drafted. That's why people covet you inside the top 10 is because they're in tough divisions usually. Yeah, tough divisions. Both of these guys can play, but they play in a different style. When I look at Pat Sertan, I believe Pat Sertan was probably the safest cornerback to take. When you watch the way that he played, um, not a gambler, just a, a technician and a tactician when it came to being able to understand how to play the routes, how to anticipate, how to make plays on the ball, all those things. Really good tackler. So that gives him a chance to be on the field every now. Who you do you think, think is in a better I'm just curious, who do you think is in a better spot? Jay, what you know about them defensively, JC in Carolina and knowing his division or Pat Sertan in Denver? Uh, how do you see it? Ooh. I would say Denver because I think Denver's defense has a chance to be a top 10 defense. Okay. They're going to hit you with the pressure. They're going to do some things where they they force the ball to come out quick. So the DBs are going to be able to get after you maybe more so than the Carolina Panthers. I think he is just very, very on top of it when it comes to the way that he approaches it. Hash split rule, understanding down and distance, um, trying to determine how they will play. So, man, this – God. Such a tough one because I love Shortan. But then when I look at the clips of minicamp and I just see J.C. Horn breaking on everything in his vicinity, yeah. I'm going to go with Shortan, but I think J.C. Horn is going to be a guy that is in that conversation. Yeah. It's a tough one. They're both, but that's why they both went so high. That's why they both went so high. Um, well, I hate to lead the conversation here, but, I mean, it just 
Yeah. <laughs> I just got yeah. off the radio talking about college football um, playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, know, I think you guys have touched on it a little bit. But the expansion, the expansion is going to give us more players. You know, we've had so many players opting out of bowl games. And, you know, we've we certainly seen opting out of seasons, which maybe that's a separate conversation for another time to see if that's going to end up being a, a big problem um, for NFL draft evaluators and for college football. But what about the expansion? If you now have 12 teams, I would think I would think that's going to keep a lot of the prospects that we're looking at. I, I think that would give us additional games to watch on those guys. I don't think as many of them are going to opt out if they know they have a chance to win a national championship. Yeah, no, I'm all about this. I think this is great if you're thinking about that part. If you want to keep players, you want to keep the star players around the game, you got to open up the doors for more guys to kind of sneak into the postseason. Um, taking the NCAA model, the Final Four is everything. Yes, if you win a national championship, you celebrate it, but so many guys are so excited just to get their team into the four. Well, now you have an opportunity to get yourself into the postseason playoff. You get a chance to control uh, and dictate your, your destiny. So I think you like – those things from an evaluation standpoint, I get a chance to see you practice, uh, evaluate your practice, evaluate some of the things that you have going. Um, I get a chance to see everybody. So um, this should be good. It should be a lot of fun to see these guys spend because you are going to see the blue chippers continue to play. And I like best on best. I mean, the thing that was difficult. Yeah, we know that there's opt outs, So that's difficult. Uh, Michael Parsons. That's not hard. You can watch him and that's not hard. Caleb Farley to me was a little more difficult, um, but for a lot of people, he wasn't. I think a guy, you know, it obviously hurt um, some other players who opted out and fell in the draft, and some guys, it didn't it didn't hurt them at all. Um, but I thought what was difficult was looking at certain Big Ten players, and, and I'm going through watching some players this summer. I'm starting on the center, so there's nothing sexy there. But watching Pac-12 and Big Ten players who got started later, you know, they might have had five games, and it's not against great competition. And so, you know, from an evaluation standpoint – when we had players like that that we needed to look at last year, that was really tough because a lot of cases you didn't see good on good all the time. With this, this is another way, and obviously we're talking purely about evaluating for the draft here, but for evaluating for the draft, any games that you get against good opponents across from you really gives us a chance to better uncover who you are as a talent. I think it, I think it all matters. I, I think it matters. You want to see those games. Like Lance going all the way – Back to my days as a scout, the things that I look for were rivalry games, conference championship games, and anything related to the playoffs. Because that intensity uh, and pressure and scrutiny is going to match uh, NFL regular season games. So I, I, I believe this is great from an evaluation standpoint because you get a chance to see these guys another year. But I don't know, man. You, you, different director. Does, does somebody else want to want to take this on um, in terms of having to deal with all of it and are the coaches of the teams in the final 12, are they going to be able to throw out those recruiting pitches to get their guys to, to, to hang around and maybe do big things? See, that's why, you know, me personally, I get that everyone's for it. Everyone wants to see playoffs and everything. Um, I just think realistically, if you wanted to expand eight at the most, maybe six meant more sense because how often do we look – how often do we look at – give me a year where you saw, man, I don't know, there's four, there's five really good teams. No, there's usually two and, and oftentimes three elite elite teams. And then you get mm-hmm. to teams you're like, this team's going to get rolled. And that team gets rolled. Um, so I don't – you know, I don't know about see, but, having eight see, to tell, twelve. No, see, but this, this, this goes all the way back to like the old H-Town argument when H-Town was rolling 
the Cougars were doing it. And, yeah. hey, man, we want to get in the mix. We want to see what's up. Uh, UCF, uh, Coastal Carolina, yeah. some of these group of five schools that are like, oh, man, if we get in there, we can we can handle our business. Okay, well, let's see you. Let's see you. We saw Cincinnati and Georgia. Georgia basically almost playing with the, the JV team in the Peach Bowl, and then they finally woke up and put their hands on Cincinnati mm-hmm. in the second half. And so <laughs> what we want to do is we want to see some of these smaller teams, uh, group of five teams, have a shot. Just put one in, put two in. Let's see if they can earn the right. Now, if they earn the right to to win the first round and then they get a chance to play Alabama, hey, let Nick Saban straighten them out, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Let him straighten them out. Like, I mean, just we, we treat it like it's, it's schoolhouse rock. You know, we can have them – Go see Nick and Nick can have him writing 100 sentences and mm-hmm. all their bad behaviors will suddenly be eradicated. Yeah, it's it's amazing how that will work out. Yeah, you want to be in the playoffs until you got to face Nick. And I mean, it might change does. a little bit, but no, well, I'm all for giving those schools a chance. I think they've been squeezed out far too long. Me personally, I don't know if it needs to go all the way back to 12 but yeah, um, let's get them all in. Bring them all in. Bring them in the club. Let's go. Let's go. I mean, because I know because because what happens is, are we really watching the bowl games anymore, Lance? Like last year, the pandemic was still in effect. Like it was on, but even then, you're like, uh, it's become a, a spring ball because everyone's opting out. So they had to expand it a little bit just to drive some eyeballs to some of these other games before True. the Final Four. Because if you don't incentivize fans to watch those those bowl games why would you like why would you watch and i think games? historically like, the bowl games the big bowl games like the rose bowl is always going to be a big deal in california i would imagine i mean it's always going to be a big deal but it is you know i grew up when my dad coached a u of h going to cotton bowl games and and that's you know and that's been diminished some of course with the southwest conference breaking up years ago that was going to be the case but i do think it does help some of those primary bowls that can still be featured as part of the playoff package. I think it does help Mm -hmm. them retain some, we know there's a financial component. I get that. But from a standpoint of, for a lot of people, they look at it fondly from a historical standpoint, from a traditional standpoint. And it's nice that you can still you, those bowl games can still have some tradition, but this time inside of a playoff. So I think, I think it's very good from that standpoint for sure. Yeah, I think it's very good from that standpoint. I also think it, it, it changes and raises the bar a little bit for your teams because think about it, Lance, it's become, hey, you either in the big four or you're not. Like, whatever you did over the year, it doesn't matter because you're not one of the teams as Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, or Georgia. Like, that's that's who's normally in the conversation. Throw Notre Dame in there. Those are the six that are always in the conversation. I think what you want to be able to do is if I'm a team, if I'm a coach at a, at, at one of these teams and we get into 12, oh, I want the biggest banner up there. I want to treat it like the NCAA Final Four. Hey, man, we in the playoffs. We made it. We made it. We made it to the big time because you are going to see more of the haves and the have nots kind of break out when we tally up all of the stuff. And well, and I think. This may not be a popular thing to talk about, but um, I think it's worth noting. I think the NIL stuff, when players are going to be making money, at least some players, but a lot of them are going to be the star players, the same ones who may be opting out. If they're making money off name, image, likeness in college, they're going to be a a lot less likely to bolt early if they've got a chance to, you know, they got a chance to go play in a bowl game, um, even if Get it's more inside of a top 12, you know, a top 12. Hey, we're here. I got a chance to hit a bonus because I'm going to be, you know, I'll have the sweatband on or whatever the case. I don't know how that's going to end up working. Oh. But 
I mean, NIL is going to be I mean, crazy. I mean, it's going to be crazy for those who have uh, who have boosters, who have deep pockets and access and um, the ability to say, hey, man, like, how, how about you put this little Jiffy Lube uh, wristband on that I own 50 of them, you know, or what, whatever it is. Like, yeah, whatever it is. Those, yeah. those, those, those uh, the booster connections, the alumni connections uh, is really going to matter. It's going to change the game. But you're right, Lance. I might I might hang around a little bit if I got one of them nice little kickback offers on my yeah, NIL. Yeah, I may play I, another I, game. I may, you know, I may play another game or two and and, and see what else. See if mm-hmm. I can I can get it. And then you know, who who knows what's going to happen with the sneaker wars and all of the other stuff. I mean, that's cool today. All wearing Adidas, but I, I might not get down like that. Like I, I might have a, a little, I might have a little side hustle. It's going to be a, a side hustle west. <laughs> it's going to be a wild west. Hey, you can only imagine the locker room when. Quarterback A is making a million in the yeah. defensive end with 11 sacks. You know, yeah. the real quiet defensive ends like. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be sideways. I got, I got yeah. something for, for a wing place. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Is it right? Like, is it yeah. right? It's, it's, it, look, it's going to be a different deal. And we saw the Supreme Court case that kind of changed some of the things when it came to the educational benefits and just more, more pressure on the NCAA to figure out a way to uh, – make this happen uh conversation is always good when i have you on lance like you always yeah, take there. got a chance to mix in some nba talked about college football the playoffs that you hate you don't want to see 12 you probably i'm want trying to, see, to shut it down i want to go to, to two. you want to go you get one game <laughs> but it's always fun what else you up to man when, when are you gonna start digging into this table oh uh, man i'm already starting to dig in a little bit um i'm working on a i'm working with a company that does a. I may have to hit you up working with this really cool player tracking company out of uh, outside of the States that they're tracking players. They can track the ball data. They're working Australian rules football. And I'm like, man, I want to get this in the high school. I want to, I want to be the, uh, be one of the guys that helps the high school teams who can't afford some of the player tracking, the next gen data, mm-hmm. make it more affordable, get some of that stuff. So it's crazy. The sports tech that's out there right now is bananas. What we're, what we see, what, what Zebra does for next-gen data on a regular basis for the NFL, mm-hmm. it's amazing right now. But some of the other sports tech that is being used in baseball, the way I watch a baseball game is totally different when broadcasters, old-school baseball people are telling me about launch angles and spin rates. Man, you know it's different. And I'm just waiting for, I'm just waiting for somebody to talk about the spin rate of a pass and what the velocity is on a throw because I'm telling you it's coming at some point in game. Oh, yeah, no, it's not only coming, but I mean, we talked about like teams are saying they're not even worrying about 40 times and those things because they can get the the, the GPS stuff. They can get the miles per hour and yeah. max speed and max velocity and those things. Uh, it's about to be a game changer. Lance. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change the way we do everything. It's going to change the way that guys work out if they work out ahead of the draft. We see it coming and, and we've seen the impact that it's had on other sports. It's only a matter of time before it really completely revolutionize, revolutionizes how we go about the process yep. in the National Football League. Well, look, that was that was it. That was the Move the Six podcast. It's always great to have my man LZ on. Make sure you check out all the videos at NFL.com slash MTS video. Make sure you check out Lance when he's doing his thing. Lance, uh, are you are you podcasting? You doing other stuff? You got you got other stuff popping? Yeah, I do radio every single day. And got, I'm getting ready to start my my podcast, but I do it with an actor friend of mine from California who's a big USC fan, and he just got done filming Ozark season four in uh in Atlanta in the ATL, and so we Whoa. were so we 
catch up on a lot of college football. That's my guy. I go to him, Eric Layden. I go to him for my USC guys. I'm like, tell me okay. about, tell me about uh, uh, Slovis. Like okay. he's going to be my first scouting report. It's going to be this guy, and then I'm going to go to the tape. All right. So well, look, man, we're going to make sure you make sure you keep us up to date on it so we can off script. Off that. script. Check it out. It yeah, I like it. I dig it, man. Yeah. So that's it. Make sure you tune in. We'll be back on Thursday with another episode of Move Six. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.